My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Christ is born. I hope all of you had a wonderful New Year's Day. Uh, This past week was uh, much needed for me. It's interesting how you don't realize until you're leaving a place how much uh, it actually affected you. But uh, I thank you for your prayers. Please know that I prayed for, I prayed for you, most of you by name. Um, The ones not by name are watching on TV, so... Uh, I pray that uh, my, my pilgrimage up to St. Gregory Palamas Monastery will continue to bear good fruits in me and among us this year. And that might sound like an odd thing to say. How can my experiences there these past few days go beyond myself and benefit all of you? And I hope to, to answer that question for you this morning. And uh, the monastery itself is a fair distance away. And, and once you get there, cell reception drops uh, away. Um, so one is left with a lot of time to not be distracted by your devices. So you have time. And that time is filled up by attending services, by praying, by resting, by disconnecting from the distractions that pull at us, taking walks down in the, in, in the forest, having good conversations with people. And during one of those conversations with uh, my friend, Father Andrew, who I went with to the monastery, he told me of uh, some advice he received when he himself went on a pilgrimage to a group of uh, monasteries in Mount Athos in, in Greece. And he had some incredible experiences there. And as he was leaving, he expressed sadness to a monk there that the end of the trip was in sight after seeing all these wonderful sights and, and experiencing the riches and the depths of the worship and participating in it there. One of the monks said to him, bring home what you have received. I thought that statement quite profound and it sparked today's sermon that, that's forthcoming as well as the title of this sermon this morning. Bring home what you have received. And often people who have never gone to a monastery ask what the experience is like. Like what do you do there? Uh, And I I kind of liken it to being in the military, right? I know some of you have been in the military before. Now imagine if you were in the military and whatever it is that you were doing, the military uh, command structure said, you know what, Barry, we want you to go train with, I know you were a Marine, correct? Yeah, they'd be like, you're a Marine, uh, you're, uh, I'm not sure if you were an infantryman, but they're like, we want you to go train with force recon. Or if they said to an army, uh, an army person, we want you to go train with Green Beret Special Forces. It's, it's, it's kind of like that, in that you get to experience a wholly different way of, of life uh, revolving around different types of training that take you beyond what you've already, what you have already learned. And people have asked me, well, what is it like? Well, what do you do there? Uh, Well, I'll give you a quick breakdown and it all tie together, right? So services start at uh, at 4 a.m., okay? So um, it's the midnight office, it's matins, and then the first hour, and that's all 
beginning at 4 a.m. And then you go up for breakfast. And then after breakfast, you go and do whatever you want, right? And then uh, lunch is at 12, and then you have lunch, and then right after lunch is a prayer service right there in the eating common area. And then after that prayer service, you go and you're done. And then at five o'clock, you have what's called uh, Vespers. Um, and then there's also another service attached to that. And then after that, then you go up to eat and then you're done and then you can do whatever you want and, and go to bed. And that's what it's like every, every single day. So you have these moments of lots of focused prayer followed by time where you don't have anything really to do. And it's interesting that St. Paul uses the language in Scripture of, of describing what the spiritual life in Christ is like as training. He says, you know, I train my body and I bring it under submission lest I myself become disqualified. He uses that language of like training for an athletic competition. And it's interesting that in their prayers, they ask God to bless those who live and train in their community. And that training teaches them. And those who, who, who go there on pilgrimage to pray with them, it teaches them as well. So this morning I'm going to talk about three things I think that the monastic life or the monastery can teach us about training in the spiritual life before dealing with the question I posed earlier, how do we bring home what we have received? So the first lesson we can learn from the monastery or monastic life is the importance, and this is in no particular order, by the way. The first lesson I think we can learn from the monastery is the importance of rest. The importance of rest. I mean, and this sounds kind of like an easy one because after all, in Genesis, it says that God rested on the seventh day. Now God, when he rested on the seventh day, he didn't rest because he was tired. God's like, you know what? Making man from the ground was really hard on my hands as if God actually has hands, right? I need to kick back and relax. It's Miller time. No, like God doesn't need to rest, right? God doesn't get tired. God's act of resting is an act of hallowing the seventh day to set worship within the context of the seventh day. To set worship within its proper parameter as the focal point of the seventh day. So tied in with this concept of rest is worship. Is worship. And, and rest is important in the spiritual life. This, isn't my, this wasn't my, my first trip there. Um, I've been there before a few times. I think this was my third or fourth. I can't remember. It may have been my third. But the first time I went, I remember I was very excited. And when you go there, you stay in the guest house. And the guest house has a series of rooms with multiple beds inside. And there's a couple of common bathrooms, a kitchenette. And then there's a common area where, uh, with a bunch of seats and, and chairs where, pe where you can sit and talk and drink coffee or tea or whatever. And so there's, because it's, it's an active group, there's always pilgrims coming in from all over the place. Uh, sometimes there's a large group of them and then there's a small group of them. Sometimes there's very few. And then sometimes, like on our trip, it started off, there was just the two of us and then and the longer we stayed, more people started to show up. But my first trip there, I'll never forget this. And, I, and my friends who were with me will never let me forget this. 
But my first time there, I remember the first night we got there, there were other pilgrims there. And so we were sitting in the common area, you know, drinking tea and just talking and, and about who we were, where we come from, why we were there. And there was a lot of, there's a lot of people there from a lot of different traditions. And we're all sharing our stories, who we are, where we come from, what we've done. And I stayed up far later than what I should have. I think, we, well, I think most of us did. And so I went to bed really, really late. And then my alarm went off. And I had to get up, walk up to the church, walk up to the church for 4 a.m. prayers. And what do you think happened? I fell asleep. Right? Just like the disciples of Jesus in the garden, right? I fell asleep. This is my first trip, not this most recent trip. And I, I was, and I, I slept so hard, I started to snore. And God, and God blessed them. One of, the, one of the monks came in and he shook me by the arm and he's like, listen, if you need to go to sleep, you can go back to your room, it's okay. And so it woke me up, I went outside, there's a bathroom outside. I went to the bathroom, splashed water on my face. It was really cold, so I went out without my jacket. And then I came back and kind of pushed through. And I'll never forget that. And my friends will never let me forget that. But it highlighted something important to me that rest is important for our worship. Rest is important. I, I learned that, that from, so the next night and then all of my subsequent visits, I learned that I needed to rest so I'm not distracted by the exhaustion of my body. And like I said, Jesus and his disciples, he takes them to the garden and they fall asleep and he says, could you not stay with me for one hour? Could you not tarry with me one hour? St. Paul, I'm, I'm taking this out of context a little bit. You know, he says in, in Ephesians 5.14, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. You know, he's talking about awaking from the sleep of death. But I think the lesson there is true. To be awoken from sleep allows us to see the illumination of Christ. And so physical rest and worship are linked. We need, we need both. It doesn't mean you have to regiment down to the second your sleep habits or take, you know, X amount of naps a day. But be aware of what you're doing. And be sure to stop so when it comes time to pray, you can. And oftentimes, how many of us at New Year's say, I resolve this year, I don't know, maybe like Jonathan Edwards, right? We create this like massive list of resolutions. How many of us resolve every year to pray more? None of you raise your hands except for Barry. Barry, you're the only honest one here. I appreciate that. Oh, I didn't look up there. Maybe you guys did too, right? That's a common one that a lot of us have every year. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to pray more. But if you're about to pass out, how are you going to follow that? Rest. The second thing I, I learned, and this, these all sound super simple, so forgive me, brothers and sisters, but the second lesson I learned was the importance of prayer. According to what I was able to find uh, doing some quick uh, research, the average person, and this has been magnified because of COVID, watches from three and a half to eight hours of TV per day. Three and a half to eight hours of TV per day. And that may or may not include smartphone usage or, or, or tablet usage as well. 
But when we develop a, a desire to pray or we try to pray, we do so after times where we haven't rested. So we give up and we turn on the TV instead. Or we get so caught up in watching the TV or, or on our tablets or our phones that we lose track of time to pray. We have time to pray. We just don't approach it as something that is absolutely necessary to our life. None of us neglect meals. None of us neglect a meal because if we did, unless, you know, we're obviously for fasting or something like that, but generally speaking, right? If you want your body to grow and to be healthy and to be the nutrients provided that you need to live, then you need to eat. We don't need the TV to eat. We don't need our phones to eat or to survive. And oftentimes when it comes to the life of prayer, we say we don't have time. But that's just not true. If we're watching three and a half to eight hours of TV a day, we've, we've wasted time that we could have been spending in prayer. And I'm not saying that you have to pray eight hours a day. And I'm not at this place yet, but maybe we should get to the place where the time we spend in prayer begins to outstrip the amount of time we spend in front of the TV. But that's hard to do. And how effective do we think also? Like, and we come to church. And so generally, depending on how long I preach, and uh, if we have a service of Holy Communion, services are generally about an hour and ten minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we think that an hour and twenty minutes or an hour and ten and fifteen minutes of worship is enough to ground us in Christ. But it really isn't. Because if we have like maybe an hour and 20 minutes, let's just be generous and say an hour and 30 minutes a week. If we're watching eight hours of TV a day, a day, a small chunk of time on Sunday is good and it's helpful and we need it. But how much more time do we give to things that don't matter? And I was reminded on this trip just how essential the life of prayer is for us as Christians to see people whose entire lives revolve around prayer. Not just praying for themselves, but praying for others. When you go and visit, they have things you can fill out where they commit to praying for individuals for 40 days. And so people are sending in lists all the time. So they're not only just praying for themselves and going about the services just because it's something cool that they can do. They're praying for people from all over the world. Prayer is like the oxygen that we as human beings breathe into our lungs. Prayer is the food we eat to nourish our bodies. And without a life of prayer, we can no more resist the lures of sin in this world than I can resist another chocolate chip cookie. Prayer grounds us in the life of God. The third thing I learned about from this trip that I would like to share with you is purification. So we've talked about rest, we've talked about prayer, and we've talked about purification. We've read a lot of passages from the Old Testament prophets during the Advent season and, and Christmas, and a lot of them talked about exile 
and judgment due to sin. But mixed in with the denouncement brought, upon, brought about by, by the people's sin is always this promise of return and restoration. And, and we hear the praise of this restoration that is to come and this forgiveness that is being offered. And we even heard that in some of the Jeremiah reading this morning, right? It says in uh, verse 10 he from chapter 31 that Ellen read this morning, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion and they shall be radiant over the goodness of God. The purpose of the suffering that they endured, the purpose of the exile and of their captivity was one of purification. And the Psalms are filled with passages like this one from Psalm 51 verse 7 where David says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me. I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken may, be, may rejoice. And we hear of St. Paul's own purification which is in service of the churches. And Ephesians 3.13, as Ellen read earlier as well, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. The psalmist elsewhere asks God, try me, see if there's any wicked way in me, examine my heart, so that what is evil in it can be purged. And of course, Jesus himself says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So those, it go, I don't think it's a stretch then to say, brothers and sisters, that those who are not pure in heart will not see God. That those whose hearts are not continually being purified will not see God. That the vision of God that we receive will be continually blurred to the degree that our hearts have not been purged. And that's what this life of rest and prayer, what it all accomplishes in worship, the purification of our hearts and of our souls. And we know that at our baptisms we are purified and made clean from sin and liberated from sin. But we are not removed from this world. And what is corruptible in us will continually reach out to us. And that springs from what is in our heart. So we repeatedly ask God to continually purge it. So we've talked about prayer, rest, and purification. And the monastic life is focused around these things. And there's more that you could add to it as well. You could, this is not exhaustive. This is just three basic things that I've been thinking about this past week that I thought I would share with you this morning. Another one, uh, another thing you could add to that is, is work. But we won't cover that today. And I think that, that this, this rhythm of prayer, rest, and purification, I think this is a model. The monastic life is a model for all Christians. We're not all called to do something like that. Let's, let's, let's be real here. I'm not called to do that. Most of us are not called to do that. But some people are. But even if we're not called to that type of ascetical life, it's still a model for all of us. So for us, our monastery, if I want to put it in air quotes, is the church. Is the church. It all starts here. Rest, prayer, purification. The church 
is for the purpose of having Christ formed in us. So that we can bring what we have received from Christ, which is Christ himself. We can then bring that into our respective worlds. The thing that we have that we can bring home, the thing that we have received from God is the life of God in Christ. That is what we bring with us. We bring that from the church into the world. We bring it into our homes. We bring it into our work. We bring it everywhere. You know, we may remember the story in the book of Acts of Peter and John as they go to the temple to worship and they come across the, the lame man. And he asks them for money. And St. Peter says, look at me. <laughs> and the guy looks at him. And he says, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I will give to you. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And the lame man is made whole. And it says, and he left rejoicing leaping and praising God. That is what we have, is the life of God, the life of Christ. That is what we receive here. And that is what we bring with us into the world. And that's important. Because our life then the monastic life models for us that the worship of the crucified and risen Lord is what we're all about. It's what we're all about. We get so bogged down in programs. We get so bogged down with, with what should we do. Sometimes we forget that our primary duty is to come here to worship, to sing hymns, to hear the word of God preached to us. To be formed. To eat at his table and altar. That is our primary focus of the church. I preached on this a while back. The church is not an activist center. We're not a training camp for political activism. The church is where we are formed for worship. That is what we're all about. And so much gets in the way of that sometimes. That we forget that. And we need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. That it, as Christians, the primary purpose of us being here is to be purified. To pray. To rest. So that what God gives to us. We can bring what we have received from him back out into the world. And things will try to rise up and stifle this life of purification, prayer, and rest. Activity, doing too much. The prioritization of activity over prayer and rest means that we're always moving on to the next thing. What injustice do I have to be angry about today so I can tweet about it and talk about it? That is the work of the evil one. We need to rest. 
so we can pray, so we can be purified. And prayer itself can even become weaponized, brothers and sisters. Because prayer is our connection to God. Prayer is our lifeblood. But we even weaponize prayer. I've heard some really terrible prayers in my time. Have you ever been to a church service and then they use a prayer to tell you what they want you to believe? Or they use a prayer to tell you about what they think you should do? I'll give you a silly example because we don't really do that here, right? So, so <laughs> I hope. If we do, we do it in the right way. Have you ever been to a church where they pray and they'll say something like, Oh Lord, please forgive us for the ways in which we've mismanaged the earth. Help us to learn to be recyclers. Just as your spirit recycles our souls, please help us to recycle our bottles by placing them in the blue bin. I'm using a silly example. But that's not prayer. That's a passive aggressive me telling you what I think you should believe about a particular issue. That is not the point of the church. That is not the point of our church and that will never be the point of this church. The point of our church will always be we are centered upon and focused on laser-like, as laser-like as we can on the worship of Christ. Because when we focus on Christ, when we receive what Christ has given us, then we can learn how to live as Christians in a world that does not understand. Where we can be witnesses to a world that many times will not receive and where we will stand as an island of sanity in a river flowing with insanity. And we can only do that to the degree what we rest in Christ, where we have robust lives of prayer and worship, and we ourselves are continually being purified. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me, or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zion Stone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.